Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey guys, welcome to Come Follow Me for Teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 33. We're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 7 through 16 uh, under the theme, Overcome Evil with Good. Boy, there is a lot in these chapters, so we're just going to jump right in. Over the weekend, I actually was asked to give a talk at my nephew's baptism on uh, the, the subject was the Holy Ghost. And it was just such a great experience. I, I went up to the, the pulpit, and as I looked down at those, there were two boys who were getting baptized at the same time. I just was so taken in by what I was witnessing there and, and looking at. These two young boys, one of which was my nephew, dressed in complete white, uh, next to their fathers, who were also dressed in white, with just the biggest smiles on their faces knowing that they had been waiting for this day for quite some time, so excited to be baptized. My heart just went out to them because there was a part of me that just, I saw their their innocence, their sweetness, and I just wanted to, to keep it that way. If I could take them and bottle them up and, and keep them at that point in time in their life, I would. But I knew that they wouldn't always be able to stay that way. But as they would get older, they would also make choices, some of which were not and would not be in alignment with God's plan. That's what happened to me. That's what I know has happened to you. That's what happens to everyone that lives on this planet. And although we can't stay white, we can become white again. A lot of the principles that are found throughout these particular chapters are principles that can help us move closer to that state of innocence that we once had. Now, the background of these chapters uh, are as follows. As he opened the, his epistle to the Romans, Paul greeted church members by calling them beloved of God, who were called to be saints. He remarked that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. Even though Paul spent much of his epistle correcting false ideas and flawed behaviors, it seemed he also wanted to assure these new Christian converts that they truly were saints who were beloved of God. His tender counsel blesses all of us who struggle to feel God's love and for whom becoming a saint may feel out of reach. With humble empathy, Paul acknowledged that he had felt like a wretched man at times, but the gospel of Jesus Christ had given him power to overcome sin. With that power, the Savior's redeeming power, we can overcome evil, both evil in the world and evil in ourselves with good. Like I mentioned at the beginning, all of us at one point were like those little kids I saw, just sitting on a bench dressed in white, as sweet, as innocent as could be, biggest smiles beaming on our faces. But over time, living in a fallen world, sin would take its toll. And because of that, I know there have been times where we've all felt discouraged, where we felt down, where we felt powerless to be able to rise above the sometimes overwhelming temptations and sin which come so easily at times to us. This is one of the reasons that I love the book of Romans, because it is filled with verses of hope. I referenced last week a little bit about a mining analogy in reading through these particular chapters, especially the second half of the New Testament. The other aspect of these letters is that they're not based on stories or events, which most of other scripture is. These are a little bit more like the Doctrine and Covenants. So in a lot of ways, they're like reading and studying conference talks. 
And in essence, that's what they are. So your, your goal really should be to look for and find those kinds of things that you would find in a conference talk. Quotes, thoughts, metaphors, principles, things that basically stick out to you the most from your study. So keep in mind as I share these examples with you today that we'll be going over that I'm also training you on the kinds of things to look for and how really to mine them for the value that they are to you and to your own life. I'm taking you through the process basically of finding and discovering these principles, analyzing them, packaging them in ways that they can be used today, and then finding ways that they can apply personally in your own life with the hopes of then sharing your experiences with others. The first principle that I'd like to take a look at is a simple one found in chapter 7, verse 21. I'd like for you to mark this verse, which reads, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. The, the sentence and phrase I in particular want to focus on is the very beginning when he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. One of my favorite movies growing up is The Emperor's New Groove. One of my favorite characters of all time is Kronk. In fact, I've also been told by many people that I look like Kronk, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. One of my favorite parts in the movie is when Kronk is trying to decide what to do with Emperor Kuzco, who has been knocked out and put into a bag and was floating down a river. He was tasked with getting rid of the emperor so that the evil hench mistress could take over the empire. You could tell at this point in the movie that Kronk was having a really hard time deciding what to do. There was a part of him that wanted to follow the orders he was given, but there was also part of him that he knew was wrong. And this inner battle that he's having with himself is visualized by two shoulder angels that appear, one on one shoulder representing evil, one on the other representing good. And as you watch this kind of play out, it's obviously very funny in some of the things that are shared and discussed. But it's also very accurate, I found, within for our own life and the struggle that we sometimes have in trying to choose between good and evil. See, there is a principle of opposition that Paul is trying to teach about. When I would do good, evil is present with me. You can't have one without the other. In fact, whenever you try to do good, you can count and even plan on evil stepping up and trying to stop you. Just look at Joseph Smith's experience, for example, as a very young boy, when in trying simply to do something good, experienced an immense amount of opposition to doing that good. In regards to his first vision experience, he writes, after I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, 
and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I had never felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. And you know the rest. Moses, as another example, in the uh, Pearl of Great Price in Moses chapter 1, had a very similar experience, although his experience with opposition came after the good that he experienced. At the beginning of the chapter, Moses 1, he has an incredible experience with God, basically learning who God was and who he was in his relationship to him and how incredible all of his works were and all the things that he'd done. Well, immediately after that experience, Satan came, trying to undo everything good that he had just experienced. It reminds me in many ways of an old proverb that I once read, this principle of opposition. The proverb goes something like this, A man traveling through the country came to a large city, very rich and splendid. He looked at it and said to his guide, This must be a very righteous people, for I can only see but one little devil in this great city. The guide replied, You do not understand, sir. This city is so perfectly given up to wickedness that it requires but only one devil to keep them all in subjection. Traveling on a little further, he came to a rugged path and saw an old man trying to get up the side of a hill, surrounded by seven great big coarse-looking devils. Why, says the traveler, this must be a tremendously wicked old man. See how many devils there are around him. This, replied the guide, is the only righteous man in the country. And there are seven of the biggest devils trying to turn him out of his path, and they all cannot do it. Evil is part of the resistance that we will experience in this world. I mean, have you ever tried to be better? I know that you have. Have you ever tried to be kinder, less selfish? not given to temptation so easily, to love and help and serve others more, to connect more with God maybe? If you have, then I'm certain you have felt that opposition to it, that resistance, because it's a law. There is opposition in all things. Joseph Smith taught it this way, that the nearer a person approaches the Lord, a greater power will be manifested by the adversary to prevent the accomplishment of his purposes. In other words, whenever you try to do something good or to draw closer to God, you can expect resistance to it. In fact, I would encourage you, especially as young people, to learn this early on, that those days that you feel overwhelmed, discouraged, or frustrated that you're falling short of your goals and desires to be better, to grow spiritually, to connect more with God, when you feel that resistance and can just tell that the devil is working hard on you, Just know that you are moving. That must mean that you are moving in the right direction or he wouldn't be attacking you so hard. He must see something very valuable in you to be working that hard on you. Remember what he did to Joseph. We can learn from that pattern. We can expect those attacks to come before we do good and sometimes after. He will always be there in opposition to that which is good. The way to beat him, the way to to beat Satan has always been through Christ. Darkness, by law, must give way to light. Evil can be overcome through increasing the good. The more that we invite Christ in our lives, the less room there will be for the devil. So don't give up. Don't quit. 
keep pushing and keep fighting every day is another opportunity to improve, to overcome, to eventually come off conquer. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures that talks about overcoming the, the devil and gives us a clue as to how to best do it is a scripture that reads, Pray always that you may come off conquer, yea, that you may conquer Satan, that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan that do uphold his work. The secret, one of the secrets, is prayer. Not casual prayer, but personal, powerful prayer. The kind of praying that doesn't stop and doesn't give up. That prays not only when you feel like praying, but also when you don't feel like praying. The kind of prayer that cuts through the darkness and accesses a power greater than your own to overcome the darkness and cast the devil out of your life until he comes to attack again. That's the kind of prayer that Joseph offered. And it was a type of prayer that required him to exert all of his powers to call upon God. I love what C.S. Lewis once said about prayer when he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the, the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. That's how Moses also was delivered from Satan. When Moses said, I will not cease to call upon God. I have other things to inquire of him, for his glory has been upon me. Wherefore, I can judge between him and thee. Depart hence, Satan. And now when Moses said these words, Satan cried with a loud voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, saying, I am the only begotten, worship me. And it came to pass that Moses began to fear exceedingly. And as he began to fear, he saw the bitterness of hell. Nevertheless, calling upon God or praying, he received strength. And he commanded, saying, Depart from me, Satan, for this one God only will I worship, which is the God of glory. Now, a few questions for you to consider as it relates to this principle and how to maybe best apply it in your life and to, to begin to process it, to see how it fits in your life. One question might be, how have you felt Satan working on keeping you from doing good and being better? And on the flip side, how have you felt Satan push against you after doing something good and working to be better? Why do you think opposition like this is necessary for our spiritual growth? How did prayer help Joseph overcome the darkness that was pressing upon him? And what do you think it means for you when he said, exerting all my powers to call upon God? What does that look like? What does it look like for you to exert all of your powers to call upon God? Why is it helpful to understand this principle as you live your life trying to improve and become better? Why doesn't Satan want you to pray? How can you remember this even when you don't feel like praying or feel worthy to pray? Remember that prayer keeps man from sin and sin keeps man from prayer. Now the second principle I'd like to take a look at is another little golden nugget in chapter 8 verse 28 where Paul records, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Boy, we need verses like that, don't we? Where we just need to be reminded that no matter how hard that the way, no matter how chaotic things seem to appear, how broken things become, that if we stay true to God and we love Him, that all things eventually will work together for good. That things will be fixed, that there, things will be made whole, that things will be made right, that the way will be found. I was watching a movie a while back called I Can Only Imagine. 
It's one of my favorite movies. I Can Only Imagine is the name of the number one Christian music song of all time, selling over 2.5 million copies and the only song from that particular genre to go double platinum, crossing over to successful runs on both the adult contemporary and mainstream radio billboard charts as well. But it's the story behind the song that is so powerful. The young man at the time that wrote the song and lead singer of Mercy Me, Bart Millard, the one that penned the lyrics and gave them a voice, grew up in the worst of circumstances. His father was an alcoholic and incredibly abusive, physically and mentally. As a young boy, he came home one day, in fact, to find that his mother, the only stable source of love and support in his life, had left both him and his father, only adding to his pain and his trauma. After years of physical, mental, and verbal abuse, he hoped to better connect to his dad through playing football while in high school. His dad had played in high school and he hoped to make him proud. However, that dream didn't last very long as he was severely injured during practice and was told as a result that he could no longer play football. He was required at the time to take an elective class and the only one that was open was theater. Quite the change for an aspiring football player. But he had a love for music and would later reveal that it was music that was the only thing that got him through his difficult childhood. That love of music and for music led him to eventually reluctantly become one of the leads in the school play that year. About that time, he was also invited to sing in the choir at church on Sundays prior to the pastor delivering a sermon. Every time he would sing at church, Bart would invite his father to come and listen only to be disappointed when he didn't show. As the abuse continued, Bart finally left to escape his father, whom he described during that part of his life as a monster, and struck out on his own. As luck would have it, he joined up with a band and struggled over a number of years trying to make ends meet. After years of this, he finally got a shot at the big time, only to come up short again. Bart was crushed and left the band to work through the issues in his past that he knew were holding him back. He knew he needed to confront his dad and try to resolve the pain. Upon returning home, he found that his father was a changed man. Unknown to him, his father had been diagnosed with cancer. But also, in addition, on Sundays, he would tune in to the local church station to listen to his son sing and then leave it on afterwards and listen to the preaching that would follow. Through that, and as I mentioned, being diagnosed with cancer, his father had found God and had tried to turn his life around. Although certainly incredibly difficult for Bart to accept, he found the strength to allow his father into his broken heart and forgave him of all the terrible things that had been done to him over the years. For the little time that he had left with his dad, Bart finally had the dad that he had always wanted. They laughed together worked on cars and projects together, spent time together, but it was short-lived as Bart would quickly lose him to the cancer. Confused at this point and even angry as to why God would take him now, after finally having all that he had ever hoped for with his dad, it was in this moment of the pain of loss mixed with the joy in the change that he saw in his father that he sat down and penned the song, I Can Only Imagine a song written for his dad about what it must have been like for him to see God now that he was in heaven, a song that he wrote in 10 minutes. 
The demo that was recorded of this song was so powerful that it found its way eventually into the hands of some of the most influential music artists and producers in Christian music, including Amy Grant. While being interviewed by Amy Grant about the song, he was asked about the inspiration behind it, to which Bart simply shrugged his shoulders and told her that it was a song that he wrote for his dad and that he wrote it in 10 minutes, and that was about it. But it was her response that spoke the truth of the song. She said after being so touched by the song herself that, Bart, you didn't write that song in 10 minutes. You wrote that song over a lifetime. To me, this story is a living example of what it means that all things work together for good to them that love God. Even the most difficult and painful and horrendous of circumstances can be made to work together to bring out something good. And although parts of Bart's life were filled with incredible moments of pain, if you look closely enough, you can see the hand of God slowly guiding him through to bring out something incredibly good from him and from it. In fact, his father, before he died, had set up weekly checks from his life savings to be deposited into Bart's account to help him reach his dreams and his goals. And the last check that was left from that money went into Bart's account the same week that his song, I can only imagine, went to number one on the charts. Coincidence? Or maybe something more? In my own life, there have been a number of difficult turns that it has taken. Not being able to play basketball my senior season as well as I would like because of a sports injury. Not getting married until I was 27, much later than what I wanted. Later then, going through a divorce and losing my job teaching seminary because of it. Not knowing at times where I was going to get enough money to pay for my home or even at times groceries. But despite all of that and other things, I'm still here and I'm still happy. Things just continue to work out as long as I have faith and trust in God's plan for me. I know they will continue to. Life may not, scratch that, life will not always go the way that we want. But that's because we don't see the whole picture, the whole design. But if we can learn to let go of the way we think our lives should go and accept that each experience is an opportunity for growth and development and that our life story is perfect for that to happen and trust that in the end everything will turn out okay, we can face life with faith instead of fear and eventually even come to see God's hand in the little things guiding and supporting us through it all. As the Lord himself said in Doctrine and Covenants 58.3, Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand. Oh, young people, if there's one lesson I could and would want for you to learn in your life, it would be this one. To understand and recognize that no matter how hard the way, that if we stay with God and trust Him and love Him, all things will eventually work together for our good. A couple of questions for you to consider to kind of help this one sink in a little bit. One might be, how has life already taken some wrong turns for you? And how can you start to change your thinking from these wrong turns being wrong turns to simply detours or maybe even shortcuts? that are meant to help us experience what we need to experience.
for our own personal growth and development. Another question might be, how have you already seen in your own life all things work together for good to them that love God? How have you seen this happen in others' lives? Why is it better to trust God with our life and our life story than even to trust ourselves? And what can you do now to better develop that kind of trust and faith in God? The kind of faith and trust that allows you to surrender your life to Him. Now for our last principle day, principle 3, I want to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Another short one, but just an incredibly powerful statement and principle. And I hope that you're seeing that these principles that we're discovering can be very little. In fact, the smaller they are, the easier they are to, to take and to use into our lives. I love taking a story, a concept, and trying to just whittle that down to just a power statement, which is what Paul does here in Romans 12, 21, when he says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When I was growing up, I remember an experience I had in pulling weeds with my grandma. Somehow she talked me into it. She probably made me do it because I hate pulling weeds. I always have, always will. But at this particular point in time, she took me out to her flower bed and asked me to, to pull some weeds for her. I think she was going to pay me a little bit. So I did. I just got down. I started pulling out weeds. To which she stopped me. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm pulling out weeds, Grandma. And she said, uh, no, you're not. You're just pulling out the tops of the weeds, and the weeds are going to grow right back tomorrow. I said, oh, well, how else am I supposed to do this, Grandma? Because they're not coming out when I pull them. <laughs> to which she taught me a very important lesson and method when it comes to pulling out weeds. She grabbed a hose, and she said, put this here, turn on the water, and let the water flow into it, into the flower bed, and soak there for probably about a half hour, maybe even an hour, and then try to pull the weeds. So I did that. I put the water on the waterbed, turned on the hose, and let it just soak there for about an hour. I came back out and started to pull the weeds, and it was amazing what happened, the difference once the ground was softened. Those weeds almost came out on their own. With just the smallest of tugs, they came out root and all. Not only has she taught me a valuable lesson about how to pull weeds, but she taught me one of the most important lessons about how to pull out the bad in our lives and in the lives of others and has everything to do with this statement and principle that Paul is teaching here in Romans 12:21 be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good it's human nature in all of us that when we see something bad in ourselves or others we want to go right for it we want to cut it out we want to stop it we want to get it to to leave to be gone to quit but often in going after something like that, too fast and too strong, we hurt ourselves more than we help ourselves. And this is what the Lord is trying to teach us in the book of Mormon in Jacob chapter 5, the allegory of the olive trees. In this particular chapter, the Lord gives a parable about taking care of a grove of olive trees and how to help them best grow and bring forth the best fruit. It's not a parable about trees, but it's about people. And like with trees, people, communities, and civilizations, there is corruption that causes the fruit to become bitter. There are bad things that causes uh, the tree to begin to decay or a, a person to begin to, to lose its, their light and their faith. In the parable, when this is discovered, the Lord utilizes many different methods to help correct the decay and bring back life into the tree so that it can bring forth good fruit again. But one method above all sticks out to me as the most important. 
In the parable, the Lord gives the following instruction to those that are laboring in his vineyard when he says, this is in verses 65 and 66 of Jacob 5, And as they, the good branches, begin to grow, he says, Ye shall clear away the branches which bring forth bitter fruit, according to the strength of the good and the size thereof. And ye shall not clear away the bad thereof all at once, which is what we typically want to do. But he says, Ye shall clear away the bad according as the good shall grow, that the root and the top may be equal in strength, until the good shall overcome the bad, and the bad shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. And thus will I sweep away the bad out of my vineyard. How does the Lord get rid of the bad in his vineyard, in his people? By increasing the good. Which again, in many ways, is so against our nature because we want to attack the bad first. Let's cut it out. We have to stop it. We have to control it. We have to prevent it. Well, the problem is, is like in this parable, that with all these methods, that they're just band-aids. And in many situations, they can actually do more harm to the tree than good. If we want to truly sweep the bad out of the world and out of our lives, we must first focus on increasing the good. Just like with the water in my grandma's flower bed. It's a simple concept, but again, it's one that we often get backwards. We think we need to stop doing this or that. I need to cut this or that out of my life. We focus on getting rid of the bad. That's human nature. But I would suggest another approach, maybe a different approach for any of you listening that are struggling with bad things in your life. And that is to increase the good. And watch as I believe the bad will almost come out on its own. Increase your scripture study. Read more conference talks. Listen to uplifting music a little more. Find ways to serve others in your school, in your home and community. Pay a little more attention in sacrament meeting. Try to attend the temple a little bit more. Make your prayers a little longer and more meaningful. Increase the good and watch what happens. This really is one of my most favorite principles when it comes to changing ourselves or fostering change in others for that matter. I have seen this approach do wonders in my own life in overcoming bad habits and things that I had gotten caught up in. Things I had tried to stop for sometimes years at a time went away more naturally by increasing the flow of good in my life first. As one last example of this, in Mosiah chapter 5, the Nephites had just finished listening to an incredible sermon delivered by King Benjamin, which was probably a lot like listening to Elder Holland, I'll bet. The first one records this, And now it came to pass that when King Benjamin had thus spoken to his people, he sent among them desiring to know of his people if they believed the words which he had spoken unto them. And they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us, or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. They had experienced something good and had began to lose their disposition or desire or tendency to do evil. Increase the good, increase the flow of living water in your life, and those things that are bad that you are struggling with will start to come out on their own as well. Couple key questions for this principle. What are things that you would like to overcome in your life? What habits, character flaws, or weaknesses are there that you would like to overcome or to cut out from your own life? And how can you increase the good in your life to accomplish this? What are some of those things that you know 
will increase the flow of good in your life. Why do you think focusing on increasing the good is better than focusing on increasing the bad? What things can you do that will bring the Spirit more fully into your life and allow this flow of good to come more naturally and easily to you? What have been some good things that you've experienced that have inspired you to be better, to do good continually, and that have helped you to lose the disposition to do evil? How can you apply this principle in your relationships with others? How can you apply this when it comes time for you to be a parent one day with your own children? Now, one of the things that Paul wants to make sure to communicate to the saints in Rome that I want to make sure to communicate to you is that regardless of where you are and what you've done, God loves you. He always has and he always will. In Romans 8.31, he points out to us, if God be for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8.35, he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he answers that question in verse 38, which when he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you ever find yourself struggling to love yourself, please always remember that God still loves you and that he will always love you. And that, as Paul said, there is nothing that can separate us from that love. And if he can love us the way that he does, regardless of the things that we've done, then maybe we can love ourselves a little bit more as well. Well, Thanks for listening this week, everybody. Uh, Please keep in mind that I just began to scratch the surface of the incredible principles that are in these chapters this week Go to work mining for that gold that can continue to bless your life and increase the good in it with each and every golden nugget that you find as you go through and read and study these chapters. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. And this has nothing to do, and it never has or never will, with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week, and as always, become better as we follow Him. Till next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.